Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This is the podcast where the study of history is a way of life and TLDR does not apply. I'm going to talk, I'm going to expand upon this discussion, uh, this relationship between people and government with kind of, I'm going to break off kind of a topic of interest to me, and it's this situation that we have with government. I, I mentioned it previously that governments tend to turn abusive at some point, and they do. Every government does. At some point in their history, if the government lasts long enough, it's going to turn abusive and it's going to try to destroy its own people. And we're reading about that right now with King George III. Uh, the government in 1775 in the British Empire has turned abusive, and it's not the first time that the government in Britain has turned abusive. This has happened many times in Britain. Uh, the story of Great Britain or the British Empire is the story of a government oftentimes out of control, run by lunatics in some cases, uh, like Ivan the Terrible out of Russia and certain other people out of Russia. I mean, the, the czars out of Russia were, were basically just lunatics. Uh, even the so-called Peter the Great, I've mentioned him a few times before. That man was, on the one hand, a an educated man. He sought out to educate himself. He pursued education. He pursued greatness for his empire, for the Russian Empire. And he tried to modernize Russia in in a, in a number of ways. And bring it closer to Europe in some ways as well. But at the end of the day, and some people lionize this figure like, and that's why they call him Peter the Great. But was he really great in my opinion? No, he was a horrible human being. He was absolutely despicable. And why do I say that? And I, it's because he kept his people in serfdom, essentially, like, like so many, like every other czar that ever existed. I mean, they were very unpleasant to their own people. He had, he didn't really aspire to set them free. And that, to me, makes him an absolutely despicable, disgusting human being. And he will never be Peter the Great to me. He's always going to be Peter the Terrible, just like all of them. Catherine. <laughs> Catherine the Great. Catherine the Terrible. They're, they're all the same personality of people. I mean, some of them, you know, they may have modernized Russia in some cases. They may have expanded Russia's borders. They may have, you know, inspired um, their nation in some particular kind of way. But what did they do for the people? What did they do to free the people? What did they do to make sure that they had their rights, that they had access to private property, that they had the ability to go out and expand their lives, make their lives better? Something like what we call the American dream today. Where was that in Russia during the czars? Roughly, you know, during the Romanov, you know, legacy. Where was that? I don't know. Uh, I can't find it. But, um, I mean, you see little flickers and glimmers of it here and there. But honestly, in the aggregate, no, you don't see it, in my opinion. King George III in Britain, and people like him, the various kings of England in some cases, these these people represented, you know, some of the worst of this relationship between people and government. And one of the things we've talked about recently is this, how, how does tyranny begin to rise in Great Britain during this time? We've read recently about the lead-up to the war, the plans that were set in motion. And in the, in the case of King George III, one of the key indicators of what he was about ready to do, and this is the this is kind of the big ticket item. Before a tyranny really begins to take hold, the tyrant will send signals out, basically revealing what he's about ready to do, he or she. 
is about ready to do. The government will begin to set, the tyrannical government will begin to send signals out letting you know what they're planning to do. And we see that very, very clearly leading up to the war in 1775. We have King George III, and we've read about this in episode 66 and episode 70. First, he begins to limit the access to arms and gunpowder. He places restrictions on access, basically the exportation out of Great Britain of guns and powder. He's trying to limit access by the colonies to weapons. And then we start hearing in episode 70 about outright confiscation of weapons. And what is this? What, what's going on here? And it's the tyrant revealing what he's planning to do which is declare war on his own people. He wants to be able to send the military out with impunity to be able to arrest, kill, murder, attack, pillage, burn, whatever he wants. That's what he's sending the signal out for. He's broadcasting what he's about ready to do. Tyrants and tyrannical governments tend to do this, and it's something to watch out for. These are There, there are these leading indicators of something terrible about ready to happen uh, by the tyrannical government, and you see it again and again in countries throughout history. And I thought to um, add an exclamation mark to that concept, I would give you another example from out of history that I was reading about not long ago, and I was reminded of this recently. You know, in 1938, in Germany, there was a law that was enacted that required Jewish people to register their property. I believe it was of a certain value, property of a certain, certain uh, monetary value. And what was the purpose of that? You know, you got to ask, it's kind of one of those weird random laws. It's like, it's like, what is the purpose of that? And it's no surprise, obviously from history, we know that later on the Germans came in and they seized property from the Jews. They, they, they went in and they stole property. And it turns out that the reason why they wanted that property registered in the first place was to create a shopping list. They effectively created a shopping list of Jewish property so that they knew what they would be able to go in and take from them as they were marching the Jewish people off to the extermination camps. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, I'm sure that there was somebody in Germany at the time who said, you know, this registration of property, it's probably going to lead to confiscation, seizure, stolen property, so on and so forth eventually. And then there was probably somebody else who heard that argument and said, well, that's a conspiracy theory. Uh-huh. I mean, because it's always a conspiracy theory, right? I mean, until it's not. Everything is a conspiracy theory until it actually happens, then all of a sudden it's conspiracy fact. Isn't that interesting? And I'm sure somebody in 1775 was saying, you know, Benjamin Franklin just wrote us a letter saying that, you know, there's there's talk of confiscation of arms in the colonies. And we know that the king has signed an order limiting access, exportation of arms or gunpowder out of Great Britain. I think it's possible. And we see that the troops are amassing in Boston. They're, they're basically turning it into a garrison town. I think it's very likely that the British are going to launch an incursion. They're going to attack the colonists. And somebody else probably said, well, that's a conspiracy theory. Until it happened on April 19th of 1775. And then all of a sudden it wasn't conspiracy theory anymore. It was conspiracy fact. Isn't that interesting? And there was actually something else that happened around this same time period that in, in Germany in 1938. Going back to Germany really quick. Uh, there was an event called the Anschluss, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it was the, um, it was the German annexation of Austria. It happened in 1938. They basically just walked in and took over the country. That was talked about before it actually happened. There, there were rumblings of it. There was um, sympathizers in Austria that were trying to make it happen. And I'm sure somebody said, oh, it's conspiracy theory, until it happened. And then all of a sudden, it was conspiracy fact, because it actually did happen. And once again, proving the concept of, you know, everything is conspiracy theory until it happens. 
And it was the government that did it, by the way. The German government was the one that passed a law in 1938 requiring the Jewish people to register their property. It was the German government that was uh, that eventually went in and stole that property and marched people off to the extermination camps. That was the government that did that. And back in 1775, it was the government, the British government, that was trying to limit access to arms so that the people could, couldn't, to, basically to prevent the people from de defending themselves. And it was the British government that had a plan to go out and seize those weapons, again, so that the American colonists could not defend themselves against a tyrannical military that was set out to arrest and murder them. That was the government that did that. It wasn't a political party. It wasn't just one guy. It wasn't just a group of guys. The government did it. And in the case of Germany in 1938, they did it with the approval of the German people. That was their government that made all that happen. I mean, we like to refer to that to an organization known as the National Socialist German Workers' Party. There's a shorthand for that, but I'm not going to say it. But really what it was was the government. Now, that's just two governments over the course of a few hundred years. There were a lot more instances of that kind of thing that happened during that st over that course of that 200-year period of time, and there's many, many more examples of that that happened over the last 5,000 years. Yet, for some reason... In this country, we, we, we don't, in the United States, that is, a lot of people have a hard time remembering that. And they have a hard time understanding that all of these terrible things that happen throughout history, a great deal of them, that, that end up killing either tens of thousands or millions and millions of people. It's oftentimes government that does it. Government makes it happen. Yet we place so much faith in government. We put all of our hopes and dreams in government. It didn't used to be that way in the United States, by the way. You know, people used to put their hopes and dreams in themselves. That was part of the uh, the American opportunity. That's why immigrants used to come to this country. You, you always hear stories about that. Immigrants would come to this country with like a, a couple of dollars in their pocket, and they would start working fresh off the boat. You know, whether they were an Irish immigrant or an Italian immigrant or something of that nature, or Chinese immigrant back in the day, helped build the railroads. They um they would come here with a few dollars in their pocket and they just start working immediately because they had to. And they they placed their faith in themselves and they made it happen. They built a life for themselves here. But things have changed and now all of a sudden faith is placed in government. And why that is, I have no idea, but it, it betrays a a strong ignorance in history. People just don't read history anymore. That's the only reason why anybody would place so much faith in government. Because anybody who reads history, anybody who studies history and actually understands it, which is which is a another, I mean, before before you can even really, I mean, you can read history all you want to, but if you don't understand it, it doesn't really matter. But if you understand history, you know the things that I'm talking about. You know what you know what the British government did in 1775. It started a war. And you know what the German government did in 1938. It started a process of oppressing a group of people and eventually ex trying to exterminate them. And, of course, it eventually started a war as well for uh, equally nefarious reasons. You know, and if you, if you understand history, you, you know, I've mentioned Ivan the Terrible quite a bit. But if you, if, you read, if you read history, you understand that Ivan Terrible in the 1500s, I mean, you understand that, that he, he was effectively, you know, as czar, he was the de facto Russian government. And he did... So many terrible things to so many people, it almost defies belief. You know, he even killed his own son. 
killed his own son. I believe, as best as I recall, it was in a blind rage, because tyrants often get that way. They, they, they're, they're very angry people by their nature, and they lash out at, uh, they tend to lash out at a lot of different kinds of people, sometimes their own family, but they certainly lash out against their people. In Ivan's case, it was the, the Russian people. In King George's case, it was the, it was his subjects, British subjects in the American colonies, him lashing out at them in, in, in a rage. Uh, even trying to get them killed in, 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 in cases like in, like in April of 1775. And what were those troops sent out to do exactly? Uh, I mean, they didn't set out to, to, to exactly murder people. That wasn't the sole purpose. It was really to seize, illegally seize property and illegally arrest people. But they went out there fully willing to kill as many people as they had to to get the job done. I mean, they would have been fine not killing anybody and just doing what they went to do. But they were, they, they went there fully accepting they were going to kill people if they had to. And the German, the German government in the 1930s, they knew what they were doing, and they were perfectly willing to kill as many people as they had to to get the job done. And they demonstrated that over the course of about a decade. Government did that. And there's so many other governments that we could talk about that have done the same kind of thing. The Chinese government, Tiananmen Square, I've mentioned it before, the Japanese government, the Imperial, <laughs> the Imperial Army in, in World War II, they, they hurt their own people as much as they hurt anybody else, honestly. Well, not quite. I mean, they hurt the Chinese people and the Korean people more than they hurt anybody else, but they, they certainly, they certainly hurt their own people when they felt like they wanted to. And in Vietnam, you know, that, that happened during the, during the Vietnam War, the, uh, it wasn't very uncommon for the, uh, the North Vietnamese Army and their sympathizers in the South to, uh, set by and murder their own their own people in South Vietnam just just because they just to create terror just because they felt like it would it would suit their purposes. Now it was the government that did that. The government in North Vietnam again explained to I wish somebody could explain to me in a logical way why it is that anybody in the world puts faith in government. Why is that exactly? When we have so many examples throughout the centuries of this thing going sideways and these tyrants again the re getting back to you know. These breadcrumbs that they leave, whether it's the Germans in the 1930s requiring Jews to register their property right before they go in and steal it so that they can have a shopping list so that they know where that property is. That's the whole point behind that, by the way. It's so that they could they had a list of the property, they knew where it was, and they knew where to go to get it when the time came. And if the Jewish people tried to disappear their property, they would have to explain what happened to it because they had a registration for it. By the way, does that sound familiar to anybody? Like, like in modern times, like, does, has anybody heard anything about that recently? Registering property? People in the United States, perhaps? Elsewhere in the world? Have you ever heard of anybody, any government requiring you to register certain property that the government may want to come and, eh, I don't know, take sometime in the near future? Anybody hear anything like that? Just a thought. Anyway, so those were bread. That was basically the the German government broadcasting what they were about ready to do. Again, King George III, we've talked about it, episodes 66 and 70. They were broadcasting what they were getting ready to do, Every and everybody kind of knew it. In that last letter that we read from Benjamin Franklin on the previous episode, Benjamin Franklin talks about the impending calamity, I believe is what he called it. He knew what was about ready to happen, I think. Because, again, this was being broadcast from the hilltops by the British government. And these, these tyrants, they all think several moves ahead. They really do. They, they, they know what they're planning to do days, weeks, months, years in advance. And they're very willing to take these little bites at it. They don't need to do, tyrants oftentimes understand they don't need to impose a full tyranny immediately. They do it in little pieces. They do it in little movements here and there. And sometimes it takes decades. I mean, think about 1775 and King George III. They had been trying to do this, impose taxes that were illegal, 
taxation without representation, violate the colonial charters, violate their sacred rights, violate what they what uh, Benjamin Franklin referred to and John Adams also, I believe, as their constitution. They were trying to do that, you know, as early as the 1760s. I mean, this has been going on for a long time. King George III and the British government had been at this for a good while before they finally laid the trap and set things in motion for the war. And like I said, it's always a conspiracy theory until it happens. Always. And anybody who studies history, you know, I I can always tell somebody who doesn't study history and somebody who does. People who don't study history often talk about conspiracy theory like um, like it's Sasquatch. Like it's some mythological thing that people think is real but isn't. People who really study history never talk about conspiracy that way. Because we know that conspiracy happens all the time. It's just what people do. Naturally, especially tyrannical governments and tyrants, oppressors, warlords, kings, monarchies. This is what they do. And governments are interesting this way. You know, they always, they all think alike. Let's just be honest. Governments are really very similar all around the world. They're varying degrees of the same thing. Now, sometimes the people that are in those governments are better than others. Sometimes you get really terrible people in there, and sometimes you get, you know, better people in there, but they all tend to think the same way. And what does that mean? It means that they they see themselves as as separate from the people, and it's interesting that way. In the United States, we think of a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Have you heard that before? And why is it exactly that government oftentimes seems so disconnected from the people? You ever notice that, too? And how is it that government... Gov- all, by the way, all governments are of the people, by the people, and supposed to be for the people. All governments are. All governments are certainly of the people. I mean, who works in government? Who's elected to government? It's always the people, right? But in, in, in countries other than the United States, it's more apparent. They're clearly not for the people. So how does that happen? How do you get a bunch of people from the common population that go into government and they, they behave in a way that is so contrary to what is best for the people. Isn't that, that's a bizarre phenomenon, but it happens everywhere, all the time. And politicians do this too, you know, they're, they're really made up of the people, supposed to be, but they seem to behave so much differently once they get into power. They don't really take into account the people most of the time. They take into their, they take into account their own personal ambition, their own personal wealth, their own personal career, a lot of things, anything but the people. You know, actually, I think it was uh, Khrushchev, and Khrushchev, if you if you uh, if you don't remember Khrushchev, he was one of the uh, leaders of the Soviet Union. Uh, think John Kennedy. He was um, Khrushchev. You know, really reached his pinnacle during the Kennedy administration because of his in part because of his interactions with John Kennedy. He and John Kennedy actually met in Europe. I forget where it was. Um, let's say it was in Austria, perhaps. I I, I may be wrong about that, but. Um, they actually met at one point in Europe, and it was a famous meeting, but Khrushchev was very well known at the time. But there was a quote that was attributed to Khrushchev. I don't know that Khrushchev actually was the one who first said this, but I heard it attributed to him. Something to the effect of, politicians are the same all over the world. They all build bridges where there are no rivers. Politicians are the same all over the world. They all build bridges where there are no rivers. Isn't that interesting? There's a little bit of wisdom from uh, Khrushchev, and I think he was right about that. What does that mean? What does that mean when politicians all build bridges where there are no rivers? You ever notice how governments like to create problems? They almost revel in it. I'll give you a perfect example of that. You know, the last couple of years, we have seen not just government, but think about these people who call—I've talked about these people before—these people who call themselves elites— 
uh, I, again, I refer to them as the corrupt because that's what they are. They're they're in, they're incredibly corrupt individuals, and they're they're very nefarious. But they have been very very active the last couple of years. Very active, more active than I have seen them in a while. They're they're always kind of active doing what they do, which is trying to figure out a way to um hmm how do I put this politely? They're trying to figure out a way to make lives difficult for everybody else. In my opinion, some people disagree with me on that. That's fine. Reasonable people can agree to disagree on most things. But they've been very active the last few years. Why is that? I mean, haven't we seen one crisis after the next the last few years? Allegedly a crisis. One crisis after the next? Yes, we have. Is that a coincidence? That the last few years we've seen one crisis after the next, yet, and while at the same time, rather, these, uh, these corrupt individuals have been very, very active. Very vocal, too, by the way. Very, very vocal. Is that a coincidence? And I would say, no, it's not. Now, what does that have to do with politicians building bridges where there are no rivers? And understand that the politicians really are a mechanism for these corrupt individuals to get what they want. In the United States, we understand that in terms of K Street lobbyists. You know, the lobbyists who represent the wealthy in Washington, D.C., lobby the politicians to get what they want. We've known that for a long time in the United States. If you live outside the United States, this will manifest itself probably the same kind of way, but you have your own terms for it. I don't know if you call them lobbyists or whatever. You might just call them extortionists or bribes or whatever, which would be the appropriate term for it, by the way. We call it lobbying here in the United States. But politicians, again, are just a mechanism for these people to get what they want most of the time, which is why I refer to those 535 people in Washington, D.C. as being, quote-unquote, corrupt to the core. I believe it was the previous episode where I said that if you want to know where I get this crap, it's not that I'm making it up. It's just that I've been I've had my two eyes open for the better part of a couple of decades and I actually pay attention. Oh, and I, I just happen to read read a lot of history, too. So I, I know them when I see them, because these like I said, these people are the same all over the world, like Khrushchev said. And they're the same from one age to the next, from from generation to generation. They're all the same kind of people. Uh, me and Khrushchev actually agree on something. Not much, but just this. if it's just this one thing, then I guess I can say that I agree with Khrushchev on this one thing. So what's the connection there between these corrupt people who are very active during a crisis, the politicians that they, that they use to leverage their, their ideas, and this concept that Khrushchev talked about of politicians all build bridges where there are no rivers? These people live to create problems because if they, if they can create a problem, then they can find the solution. And if they can find the solution, then they can control things very easily. The bridge that they're building over the river that doesn't exist is oftentimes the bridge to tyranny and oppression. Does that make sense? And it's interesting how people will actually help them build the bridge. The, the people of the country, the nation, the empire, whatever it is, will actually help the politicians build the bridge of tyranny straight into the land of oppression over the river that doesn't exist. The river being the problem, by the way. Uh, the crisis. Uh, again, I, I think I mentioned this once before. There was one of the founding fathers, I believe. It was credited to James Madison, although I'm not sure if he was again, the one who originally said this. But he said that crisis is the rallying cry of the tyrant. And what, what's, what, what they mean by that is, is that it's very easy to walk people into tyranny if there's a crisis to be had. And if you don't have one in front of you, then create one. Build a crisis. And that's what happened in Germany in the 1930s. And that's what happened... In 1775, there really wasn't a crisis to speak of. I mean, all the while King George III is trying to institute his oppression, the people back in the colonies organized a congress of very intellectual, very intelligent people to write a petition and try to 
try to advocate for some kind of a peaceable agreement. And King George III was having none of it. Instead, he was, he was orchestrating a kind of crisis. He had this kind of imagination of an out-of-control population in the American colonies, which was not the case, by the way. They, they simply didn't want to go along with his illegal dictates that violated their sacred rights and violated what they called their constitution. You'll recall from previous episodes, Benjamin Franklin mentioned this a couple of times, that what, was, what Parliament was doing, what, he called it unconstitutional. And Benjamin Franklin is not an idiot. Benjamin Franklin was not a rash human being. He tended to be fairly reserved compared to certain other personalities in the Revolution, like a Samuel Adams, for example. In my opinion, that's, that's my opinion, but that's, that's the way I see him. So King George III pushed the British Empire to the brink of catastrophe, to, to crisis. And he responded as if there was a crisis. We gotta go out, and we've gotta illegally arrest people, and illegally seize property, and all the rest of it. There was no crisis. It was all made up, so that the king of... Great Britain could try to affect his tyranny, and so that he could oppress people. And the Parliament got worked up into a froth, uh, thinking that there was some, thinking that uh, the again they were trying to force compliance. We we heard that in the previous episode because they they believed that they were right, and the the American colonies were just this out of control band of reprobates who didn't uh, didn't want to go along with anything. It was anarchy over there in the colonies. Anarchy, I tell you, no, it wasn't anarchy at all. So where are we now in the 21st century? In the world. I'm, I'm speaking to everybody in the world at this point who, who wants to listen to this podcast. This isn't just a United States thing. And a matter of fact, it's a lot bigger problem around the world than it is in the United States right now. But Lord, Lord knows there's problems in the United States, too. I'm not saying that government is the enemy. You know, there was, there was a guy who said once upon a time that, you know, government isn't the solution to the problem. Government is the problem. That can be the case at times, for sure. But it also can be... Just what government is supposed to be. Government can be a benefit to a nation if it's narrowly focused. National defense, security of the country, basic administration, not micromanaging, but basic administration. Government can be a great mechanism for the people to affect all of these things, all of these positives in and around the country to defend the country from foreign adversaries. And, you know, that's that's the that's the probably the biggest job of government and to and to ensure the domestic tranquility. Have we heard that before? Yeah. But, you know, again, that requires a very narrowly focused a government on a very short leash. And in the United States and in countries or in almost every country around the world, your government is not on a short leash. Some countries have never been able to get to that point where their government is actually on a short leash. They, they just can't get there because they don't understand. They don't even try. Because they don't understand this history. They don't understand how dangerous that government is. A government that is not on a short leash is incredibly dangerous. As a matter of fact, it's the most dangerous thing in your life. It's more dangerous to you than any kind of criminal. It's more dangerous to you than any armed gang. It's more dangerous to you than organized crime. It's more dangerous to you than a foreign military. Because it's right there, next to you. And it, a government that's not on a short leash is a government capable of anything. And it's capable of doing anything. And it's capable of hurting anybody for any reason just because it's bored on a Friday afternoon. And it's happened over and over and over again because, I mean, what's the, anytime anybody says something like what I just said, the response is usually, oh my gosh, Roman, that'll never happen. That's never happened in history. Governments never just attack people because they're bored on a Friday afternoon. Really? I mean, to that person, I would say, you know, crack open a history book and start reading. And don't, don't come back here until you actually understand what it is that I'm talking about. Because clearly you have not read any, uh, any history at all of any government throughout throughout all of time. Either that or you don't understand it. One of the two. So this issue is bigger than the United States 
or more specifically, the American colonies in 1775. When we're talking about this issue with the Founding Fathers, the lesson here is applicable to everybody. And if the German people in the 1930s, the 1920s and 1930s, would have been listening to the American Founding Fathers, they wouldn't have voted the way that they did. They wouldn't have done the stupid crap that they did. And how many tens of millions of people would not have died? The German people put that government there. And that government did some really horrible things to many millions of people. And it was all because they didn't listen to the, the American Founding Fathers. They didn't keep their government on a short leash. They didn't understand how dangerous it was. And they didn't understand that they were playing with fire. They didn't understand how much that government could hurt them and hurt everybody around them. Or they didn't care. They were part of the, uh, the I don't know and I don't care brigade, which is, you know, we have many millions of those people in the United States. I don't know and I don't care. So many people in the United States are only concerned with their own little personal pet issue. All they care about is, you know, their job. That's it. They don't care about anything else. All they care about is their personal, their little personal issues and their personal life, their personal relationships. They don't care about anything else. Those are the kind of people that set up a Germany in 1938. Those are the kind of people that do it. That's why I've said before that people who don't study history are dangerous. People disagree with me when I say stuff like this. Not everybody, but some people do. Oh my gosh, Roman, you terrible human being. How dare you say that about people who don't study history? You mean that people who don't study history are actually dangerous human beings? Yes, I, I mean exactly that. Because I, I've, because, and why do I say this? It's because I look at history like Germany in the 1930s, and I understand that those people didn't study history. Those people, when it came to history, were dumber than a brick. And they voted the way that they did because they were dumber than a brick. I hate to be so harsh about it, but it's the truth. I mean, not literally dumber than a brick. You get the idea. But they were ignorant people. Very dangerous people. And that's why I say things like voting is dangerous. It is. Now, that doesn't mean you take it away. That doesn't mean you don't have a country with vote. You have to have voting in a country if it's going to be free. You have to. But it's dangerous, so you have to take precautions. You have to watch over it very carefully. You can't just throw caution to the wind willy-nilly, just have people, you know, voting at age 18 before they're ready, not have any basic have people voting without even the most basic understanding of history, which is the case for probably darn near a majority of the American population. In the United States, we have decided as a society to just fly fast and loose with the rules, throw caution to the wind, cross your fingers, and hope for the best when it comes to voting. That's the United States public policy when it comes to voting. And it's dangerous. And it's stupid. There's that, too. Because, again, it, it's no accident that the, you know, it, it's, it's no wonder that the people in Germany in the 1920s and 30s were voting for some very weird crap. And it just, it wasn't just that one political party. They were also voting for the communists, too, in droves. And would the communists have done anything different? Answer, eh, not really. It w Germany would have ended up roughly the same. Roughly. I mean, there would have been differences, don't get me wrong. But look at the Soviet Union. They were run by communists. How'd that work out? I mean, how many, how many millions of people were run into the gulags? How many hundreds of thousands were, were murdered in Ukraine during the starvations under Stalin? I mean, is that any different than shoving people into an extermination chamber, a gas chamber or something like that? No, it's no different. Same thing. So why am I telling you all this? And why am I trying to connect this to King George III? And, and it's basically, I'm trying to tell you that if you're getting the message, what you're going to get out of this is that everything that I have been saying, there's a reason for it. When I say that his, people who don't understand history are dangerous. And that's basically me summarizing that quote. You know, people who don't understand history are doomed to repeat it. That's me saying that in a different way. Because because that's I've said it before, that statement that we get from history from God knows how long ago, people who do not, do not understand history are doomed to repeat it. That's a famous quote from a long time ago. And it's a curse. It's not just a statement. It is literally a curse. 
And it, people don't think of it that way. So I rephrase it and I say that people who don't study history are dangerous because that's basically what that quote was saying in a nutshell. But people don't get that when they hear the quote, so they don't study history. They just think, oh, people don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Oh, okay, but who cares? Because what, what could possibly go wrong? What, what bad could possibly happen? I don't know. Hop in a time machine and go back to Germany in 1945. There was almost nothing left. Now, have you seen the pictures of the ruins and the cities? Because I have. Have you seen the pictures of the bodies? Because I have. That's what happens when you don't study history. And that's the, that's the importance of this podcast and what we're trying to do. Believe it or not, yes, Germany in the 1930s and 40s happened because they refused to study American history. They didn't learn the lesson about how to form a government, what to vote for, how to vote for it, the kind of virtue that you need for a limited government. That this concept that we talk about on this podcast all the time, where the Founding Fathers were always trying to link virtue and freedom together. You can't have one without the other. We see that in letter after letter after letter from the Founding Fathers. And the structure of government that they created with the Bill of Rights, these fundamental human rights, the German people ignored it. They didn't pay any attention to it because they were too stupid to understand it. And it was a self-imposed stupidity. They could have studied the history the same way that I'm doing it. Gen generally, they could have found this stuff. It wasn't hard to find, even back then, without the internet. You could have found it. There's these things called books. All you gotta do is read them. But they refused. And that laziness, that intellectual laziness, got how many tens of millions of people killed? And my question to anybody out there listening to this podcast is, are we, do we want that to happen again? Because I guarantee you, if every single country in the world refuses to study this history that we're talking about on this podcast, it's going to happen again, eventually. It's going to happen again, because it's happened so many times before. Do you ever wonder why the French Revolution looks so different than the American Revolution? You ever wonder that? It's because those morons didn't study history that, that happened literally just a few years prior. They didn't study the American Revolution. They didn't study that and understand how it was done. And so they did it much, much worse. And they were lobbing off heads in the streets. And they were doing some of the most disgusting, inhuman things to each other. I mean, most people have no concept what really happened during the French Revolution. No concept. But it was terribly disturbing. And the many of the Founding Fathers agreed with me on that. Or more specifically, I agree with them. They wrote about it. I was actually looking at a quote from John Adams just the other day. I was cruising through my old books on John Adams, and I found it. I found his quote about it, amongst other things. And one particular thing that you would find very interesting, and I might bring that on the podcast here shortly, uh, in another episode, obviously. But we have to learn this history, folks, or it's going to happen again. If you think Germany in the 1930s and 40s is going to be the last time that that kind of thing happens, you're wrong. Because if people don't understand history, they are doomed to repeat it. History repeats itself. These are curses, warnings from history, telling you to pay attention, telling me to pay attention, telling all of us to pay attention, not just in the United States, but around the world, in every country, in every land, in every village, in every town, in every city. Because if we don't know this history, we are doomed, doomed. And I don't want to see that happen again. I don't want to see another government go tyrannical. I don't want to see another another generation of people who have their property registered at the government level as a shopping list for that government to come and steal everything that you have. And I, I issued a warning on this podcast, it was several episodes ago, that there is a growing attack on private property going on in the world today. There is an open assault on private property. What do you think that is? And what is it about private property? Why attack private property? And why is it that certain people don't want you to own private property? Because what kind of a person doesn't have any property? 
Answer me that question. Historically, what kind of a human being does not own any property? And the answer is a slave. Slaves do not own property. It's one of the definitions of a slave. And the founding fathers knew that. And they, like, we talked about it very briefly, but they, they got this concept of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness from this, uh, this statement called the statement about you know, life, liberty, and property, because that's originally what it was, life, liberty, and property. And that's why there's protections in the Constitution on private property. The Constitution defends private property. And the legal code in the United States, going all the way back to the beginning, has long defended private property. Why? Because it's the hallmark of a free people. Free people own property. Slaves do not. You need to pay very close attention to this because, again, history repeats itself. You know, back in the feudal ages, you know, lords and vassals and serfs, like like in Russia, we've talked about, so I'll go back to Russia since we talked about that. Did the serfs really own any property? Did, were they able to own the land? Now, they were they were really slaves that kind of had to work the land, other people's land, and they, they were forced to in many cases. And there was all kinds of weird stories of oppression and things like that that go way back in Russia. Uh, they basically made most of their population slaves, essentially. And that's what serfs were, essentially, slaves. And people, they, the, the hilarious thing, it's, I guess it's not so hilarious, but it's just mind-boggling, you know, the, the people in Russia in 1917 thought that these communists were going to get them out of that, and what they ended up doing is walking themselves right back into that same thing all over again. It was basically the same system. It wasn't much different. It was a, it was slightly better, but it was it was really the same kind of system at the end of the day. But again, because they didn't understand history, they didn't understand what they were doing, they were ignorant, uh, foolish, and they just let it happen. Again, if they would have studied the uh, American founding fathers, they would have known better. And think about that. Think about how many millions of lives could have been saved if people just studied the Founding Fathers. Because, the, the, you know, of all the problems the United States has, and it, it's had several over the years, you know, we haven't, we haven't been like a Germany in the 1930s and 40s, and we haven't been like a Soviet Union, you know, shoving people into gulags by the tens of millions and murdering them, or doing, doing vast starvations like in Ukraine and things of that nature. It's not, not commonly seen in the United States. It was a hallmark of the Soviet Union. It was practically their trademark. But no, the United States is not perfect. I'm not trying to say that things will be all sweet and wonderful as long as we just listen to the Founding Fathers, because some of the Founding Fathers were obviously were misguided, and some of them didn't really fully understand this concept of freedom that, that they talked about. Some of them didn't, some of them didn't. It was kind of this split group of people. But in studying it, you can, under, you can take the good and, uh, and the bad, and you can, you can discern between the two. And you can understand, if you look at the broader history of the United States, you, you can understand what's the right path and what's the wrong path. And the Declaration of Independence, what's articulated in there is the right path. What's in the Bill of Rights, broadly applied to the whole of the citizen population, is the right path, clearly. And this concept of a, a limited government that does not have the power to oppress the people, it doesn't have the power to do whatever it wants, is the right path. And that's the system we're supposed to have in the United States of America. And it's the only thing that's kept people free, and it's the only thing that's allowed people to go out and work and make a living and live their lives the way that they do. And to be able to go out and protest, and to be able to go out and assemble and petition their government, and do these things that really, and to have free speech, even speech that people disagree with, or what we call, uh, what some people like to call hate speech. Speech like that has often been free and people free to say it in the United States only because of those constitutional prote protections and the limited government. In other countries, that kind of stuff is, is shut down and people are stifled. People aren't able to speak. People are afraid, in many cases, to speak their mind. So studying the history of the United States is crucial. And looking back with 200 plus years of hindsight is also very crucial. But, you know, 
to sum everything up here, you know, government is clearly dangerous. And if you don't understand that, then, like I said, crack open a history book and start reading until you understand that. Because if you read enough history and you're really paying attention, you, you'll get that. And it's not going to take you very long before you do, I don't think. You, you read a number of history books over the course of a year, you'll get that. If, they, if they're good history books. And, you know, not studying that history, you forget the government is dangerous. And so people unleash government. They take it off the short leash and they, they try to, they try to have government do all these big things and they try to, they try to have government micromanage every little thing. And they don't understand that what they have done is they have unleashed a destructive force that often cannibalizes and burns to the ground its own civilization. That's what Ivan the Terrible did, because he wasn't on a short leash. He was able to do whatever he darn well pleased. That's what the Germans did, because the German government was not on a short leash. And the British government, at various times in its history, was, was able to do some horrible things because it wasn't on a short leash. And I'm talking about attacking their own people. I'm not even talking about international, attacking other countries, going to war against other people, this, that. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about what they do to their own people. Because just in that conversation... You're talking about governments that have killed many hundreds of millions of their own people, if you add them all up. If the number's not in the billions, I would be surprised. So understand what happens when you take that government off the short leash. And that's the lesson the Founding Fathers have to teach us. That's why the Constitution is what it is. That's why the Bill of Rights is, it, again, it goes through and it says what government can't do to you. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do the other. You can't do all these things. Why is it doing that? you got to understand why. It's because they understood government is dangerous. It can be useful as long as it's on a short leash. It can be very, very useful. And it can be, it can be a very good positive force. The United States military has kept the United States safe from foreign aggressors for all of its 200-plus year history. That's government at work. That's the government and the people together. That's a good thing. But that's not the full story. The full story of government is dark and dangerous. And those militaries, like I said, you got to be cautious about those militaries because oftentimes they're turned against the people to kill them, their own people. And it's happened more times than I can remember throughout history. So don't ever forget it. And if you want to try to prevent that kind of thing from happening again, whether you live in Poland, whether you live in Germany, France, Britain, Japan, wherever, the United States, let's try to learn these lessons that the Founding Fathers have to teach us. Let's, take, let's, let's understand what they did right and what the Founding Fathers did wrong, and let's distill that down to the right recipe for good government and a properly structured nation that doesn't go down the dark road that so many countries go down. And try to understand how we work with each other. How a population of people is supposed to hold themselves together despite their disagreements. How does that, how does that work? How did, the, how did the Founding Fathers account for that? How did the Founding Fathers account for all these different religions, these different backgrounds, these different immigration immigrant groups and all the rest of it? How did they account for that? Because they did. I've talked about that before, actually, and I'll, I'll tell you right now. We're going to talk about this more in later episodes, but the federal government was intended to be fairly small and fairly limited in what it could do. The state governments were much more powerful. The, the state government is supposed to run your state, not the federal government. The state government is supposed to run your state. And why is that? Because every state is a little bit different, and it has different problems, different geography, different populations, different ideas, different cultural backgrounds, and so on and so forth. And, 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 and states are supposed to pay attention to their population and create the kind of environment that's best for their people according to what those people really want. Some people in some states want to be very free, and some people in some states, it seems, they want to be very limited, and they want to be very isolated and cut off. And as long as it doesn't violate basic human rights or the federal constitution, specifically the Bill of Rights, I don't give a crap. 
Each state should be able to chart its own course and not be interfered with by the federal government. That was the whole point. Otherwise, if you try to manage everything from the federal level, you get all this disagreement. You get all this turmoil like we have in the United States today. That's not what the Founding Fathers wanted. That's not the recipe that they created. It's not the recipe at all. Because when you try to have one big monolithic government try to run everything, you get all kinds of disagreement because the people in Wyoming don't want to live the same way as people in Virginia. They just don't. And anybody else in any other state who has an opinion about that, to the to the extent it doesn't violate the Constitution of the United States of America or violate basic human rights, just shut up. And the people in Alaska should be able to chart their own course and live how they want to live, again, to the extent it doesn't violate basic human rights and the federal Constitution. And anybody else who has an opinion about that, frankly speaking, having been somebody who lived in Alaska, I can tell you that the message from Alaska would be shut up and leave us alone. That's the recipe the Founding Fathers created, and that's what you learn when you study this history. And if you don't know that, then you try to do it the other way. You try to micromanage, and you just make everybody angry, because then nobody's happy, because nobody's able to chart their own course. And that's a problem. That's a big doggone problem. And boy, has that gotten lost in the public school system. I mean, they don't teach this stuff anymore, because... The, again, the history departments and whatnot, they're not, they're not given the time of day because nobody thinks the history department is important. The parents don't think it's important because most of the parents don't understand history, so how can they think it's important if they don't understand it? The schools, frankly speaking, don't really give a crap because they're distracted by other things. And the kids are, you know, they get bored with the history really easily because they don't understand how important it is. They don't see the value because nobody's told them. And this relationship between people and government is probably the most important thing a human being can understand if you're trying to live in a civilized society, because you cannot perpetuate that civilized society if you don't understand how to actually make that happen, how, how, how to create a positive relationship between people and government. Because if that relationship isn't positive, if it's not productive, then it goes the other way. It goes into the darkness. And how many, how many countries do we have to watch suffer? How many, how many people do we have to see get murdered by their own country, by their own government, before we, before we understand this? And does it have to happen here in the United States before we understand it? Of course, it's happened already. To a limited degree, I can give you examples. Civil War. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about the Civil War because it's not a Civil War podcast, but it happened. But I truly believe that this uh, this material is crucially important. Just crucially important. Otherwise, you know, without it, without not, it, it, I mean, even if you don't apply what the Founding Fathers did, you have to know about it. Otherwise, you end up not having this huge component of world history in your knowledge base if you're trying to if you're trying to perpetuate a good government. Because, like it or not, the United States, the founding of the United States of America and what the Founding Fathers did, it changed the world. And it changed governments all over the world. I've mentioned this before. Why do so many dictators want to call themselves president? Like Saddam Hussein in Iraq, for example. President Saddam Hussein. Why did he call himself president? Why didn't he just call himself dictator? Because that's what he was. Why didn't he call himself emperor Saddam Hussein or king Saddam Hussein? Why did he call himself president? And the answer is because that, con that concept of president of the United States... It has a meaning to it to people. It, it's, it, it has this image of that government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And even tyrants recognize that. And they try to model themselves. They try to fake it. They try to create the image of that in order to deceive people. And that's why they had those farcical elections, and that's why he called himself President Saddam Hussein. And that kind of stuff happens all over the world. People have tried to just create the image of the United States, this kind of fake version of it, to, to basically lie to their people and try to convince them that, oh, see, we're, I'm a man of the people, too, and I'm, this is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. To, no, no, it's not. That's how you know the United States is something special. When pe You know, they say that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. 
That's how you know the United States is something special. If you don't, if you disbelieve that, if you disbelieve, oh, the United States is nothing good. It's terrible. Oh my gosh, the United States is just this war, the worst institution ever created. And like, okay, yeah, I know. Um, that's a bunch of crap. But you know, there's a reason why after the United States was founded, so many monarchies around the world just collapsed. And they had to switch over to these parliamentary-style governments, and they had to get rid of the monarch, and they had to create some kind of elected form of government, yada, yada, yada. There's a reason for that. Because people did look at the United States, and they did understand it, at least for a time. And then, of course, they quickly forgot, which is, again, how Germany in the 1930s happened. Because people forgot. didn't take very long. It only took about 100 and some odd years, and people forgot. But, um... Yeah, we got to keep studying this history, folks. And I appreciate you bearing with me on this podcast. This podcast episode went a heck of a lot longer than I thought it was. I just ended up rambling about this. I'm not rambling. I mean, it's 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 coherent. I wouldn't call it rambling, but uh, I just decided I just went on and on and on about this because it's so important. And I thought I would talk a little bit about it and why this why why studying King George the Third. The, the colonies, 1775, and how this war got started. Why is that so important? And these tyrants, how is it they 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 do the same kind of crap over and over again? And again, they always broadcast what they're going to do before they do it. And I say that so that you know to pay attention to it. These 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 little things that lead up to a tyranny. These little these little breadcrumbs that they leave. This trail that they leave, leading up to the the oppression that they're getting ready to do. You have to know to look for it. Otherwise, you're not going to see it. You could just overlook it or think, oh, that's nothing to worry about. Don't worry about it. It's just, ah, this kind of stuff. Oh, it's it's probably much ado about nothing. No, it's not much ado about nothing. It's not. It's serious. It's real and it's serious and it's dangerous. And, you know, not paying attention to it, historically speaking, is how people get killed. Just, I'm just being honest. So, with all that said, I'm, you know, we're going to go ahead and conclude this episode of the podcast. But I did also want to leave a kind of a podcast update slash inside baseball message for you folks. For anybody who's still with me one hour or so into this podcast, I've been asked, you know, about the frequency of the uploads, the, the number of episodes that I do. I do about one episode a week on average. Now, it used to be two episodes a week. You know, part of that is... The usual suspects. I have a full-time job, thank goodness. And I have other responsibilities, but there's this other thing I hadn't mentioned before. I have a chronic illness of sorts. Nobody knows what it is. I'm, I'm working, I've been working for a long time, doctors trying to figure out what it is. But it, it does affect me greatly. It's not, a, it's not a simple thing. And it limits my ability to work on the podcast as much as I would like. And... It's uh, it's it's getting worse. It's a progressive issue. It's it's gradually it's gradually beginning to take its toll on me. And it, like I said, it's been it's been going on for years. It's it's been building and building and building. But um, that's part of the reason why I'm not able to put as much work into the podcast as I would like. So if you're curious as to why the uh, the podcast uploads aren't as regular as they used to be, that's basically why. In a nutshell, because I kind of just stopped doing two two episodes a week without really saying as as to the why. Why did I do that? And I I mention this also because a lot of times you know if there's if the if the podcast uploads become less frequent. It's harder for people to stick with a podcast because they 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 just kind of get distracted by other things and they forget to circle back around to the podcast because it's not so regular as it used to be. I'm going to try to keep it at one episode a week, you know, for the foreseeable future or for for as long as I'm doing the podcast. At the very least one episode a week, I'm going to try. There's always the possibility that that could slip. And if it does, give you some kind of a reason as to the why, but that's that's why. 
And for that reason, I really, because the podcast episodes are relatively infrequent, I really appreciate those of you folks who do continue to listen to the podcast on the regular, because I know quite a few of you do. Quite a, quite a few, quite a bit of the audience actually does circle back around and come back to the podcast every week, which is good. I really appreciate that. And like I said, I think it's important information. And I try to distill this information from the letters of our founding fathers down to just the most important letters and the most important information from those letters, as best as I possibly can, out of, uh, out of the interest of saving time and all the rest of it. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast, and I hope you enjoy the next episode. We're going to probably have another Benjamin Franklin episode uh, on the next one. Uh, getting close to the end on Benjamin Franklin, then we'll segue into another one of the Founding Fathers for this time period, 1774 to 75. And then, of course, once we're done with that time period, we'll, we'll segue on to the next time period. And that's going to basically be the, the, the period of the war, uh, or the beginning of the war, anyway. Uh, the next time period that we're going to cover. It's probably going to be 1775 to 1776, 77, something like that. It's going to be that next time period that we cover, but it's going to be a little while before we get there because we got some more Founding Fathers to talk about in this time period. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and I'll look forward to seeing you folks on the next one. And with all that said, this is Roman signing off. Thank you. <laughs>